Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Good stuff, good stuff. Good morning, North Bible Church. How are you? It's good to see you. Good to see you. Hey, uh, what do you call a guy who is pouring a cup of water? His name is Phil. Yeah, I thought I'd give you a bad one too. And if he fills the cup up all the way, his name is Philip. Just, just <laughs> clarify those things. So anyways, it's good to be here together on Father's Day. Thank you very much, Aaron. Uh, so good to be together. Forgetting. Um, none of us like to forget. Uh, forgetting is a miserable experience when we typically uh, forget things. And I don't know about you, I, I hate forgetting uh, have you ever forgot about that appointment? You ever forgot about um, your kids like, trying to pick them up from school or, or from practice? You ever forget where your keys are? Uh, have you ever forgot to take out the trash and you wake up to that nightmare sound of the trash truck on your street, right? Like, like we can forget things all the time. Forgetting is just an unpleasant experience when we encounter it. And it's one thing to uh, forget keys or forget appointments or forget the trash. It's another thing to forget how good God has been to us. Like to experience sort of a spiritual amnesia where all the times that God has shown up and provided for you or given you the strength, the hope, the peace, the comfort, the joy that you needed in whatever season you're in. Like, it's one thing to forget trivial things, like that's unpleasant, but what does it say about us, and how do we feel when we forget about God, and we forget about His goodness, and we forget about how faithful He has been? You know, one of the words that's mentioned hundreds of times in the Bible is the word remember. Over and over and over again in Scripture, you're going to see this word remember in, in all sorts of forms, because God wants us to remember who he is, and he wants us to remember what he's done. And so we have to become very intentional about learning how to prevent that spiritual amnesia from creeping into our life and constantly try to be intentional about remembering who God is and what he does for us. Uh, one of the ways that I do that is journaling. How many of you are journalers out there? Anyone else a journaler? Yeah, just, it's a great way to just get out a journal. It doesn't have to be every day necessarily, but you get it out and you just start writing down all the ways you see God showing up, especially when you, when you see him show up in big ways. Just writing down like, God, you really showed up in this season, in this moment. Thank you. And you can, and you can write um, a big thank you to, to God. Uh, another way that I have commemorated some of how God has really shown up is this rock right here. I've carried this rock for years, and it sits on a, a shelf in my office at the house. And on this um, rock is a Bible verse. It's Joshua chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. And I have all sorts of words written on this rock that commemorate moments or seasons that we really saw God show up in our life. And so, like, one of the recent ones, I just, I just modified it. Uh, I have California to Ohio to Arizona. <laughs> Like God really showed up in, in, in all these transitions uh, in our life into different churches and different seasons. I've got the word unhealthy anger in here. 
Like one of the greatest transformations God's ever done in my life was to rescue me from an unhealthy anger that dominated uh, really my heart for so many years of my life. I've got the word adoptions on here because of how God showed up um, in all of our adoptions of our three beautiful children and just his fingerprints were all over each one of those adoptions. And so we have adoptions there. Just, there's just other words that, that I've written on here to remember and commemorate uh, what God has done in our life. We had some friends back in California years ago. Their names were Bob and Karen Shabel. And uh, God just really had blessed them. They just had a big, beautiful piece of property, big, beautiful home. The guy um, built and flew hot air balloons. He created a ministry like this. He actually built a giant hot air balloon of Jesus, which probably freaked people out if you see like Jesus coming over the mountains, you know. <laughs> he built a giant one of like Noah's Ark. It was quite the conversation. He would show up to Albuquerque and all these other hot balloon things, and it was, it was his chance to, to talk about Christ. But God just blessed them with, with amazing, generous hearts and these big resources, and they would open up this big, beautiful home to us. And when I was a youth pastor at the time, we'd bring our juniors and seniors to their home, to their property, uh, for our varsity retreat, and just spend a, a great time pouring into these students. But they named this property, and they named this home Turtle Post. And when you pulled up to the driveway, there was this massive, like, brick, you know, pillar out there with a cement turtle on the top. You're like, what's, what's up with the turtle on the, on the thing out there, man? And he goes, if you ever see a turtle on a post, you know it didn't get there by itself. And that was their way to always remind them that God had given them everything. That nothing they had, that nothing they experienced was because of their own doing, but it was because of God's faithfulness. It was because of God's doing. So how do you commemorate? How do you memorialize how God has shown up for you in your life? How do you remind yourself of God's faithfulness to you? What are you doing to prevent spiritual amnesia from creeping into your life? In the Bible, many times, stones were used as ways to commemorate God's faithfulness when he really showed up. And we're going to see that again as we continue in our series in the book of Joshua. We're going to be in chapter 4, so open up your Bibles or fire up your Bible app, apps to Joshua chapter 4. And just a reminder, if you don't have a Bible, you don't own one, we have Bibles in our information area for free. So this is a gift to you. You don't need to be a father today to receive a gift, all right? Um, grab a Bible on your way out. They're ours to you as a gift so that you can have a Bible. But we're going to be in Joshua chapter 4. And what I want us to focus on today is this. Every believer should find ways to commemorate God's faithfulness because it's good for us, it's good for our children, and it's good for those who do not know the Lord. That's what we're going to focus on today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. God, we'd be lost, we'd be adrift, confused, trying to figure out what truth is, if there is even truth, if we didn't have you and your word. So God, thank you that you have given us your word to open today, to share today, to, to be um, instructed today by the power of your Holy Spirit through your unfolded word. God, guide my mouth, my heart, uh, my speech today as I deliver. Uh, protect me from error. God, I pray that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts to receive whatever you have for us today in your word. In Jesus' name, we all said. Amen. All right, we're in Joshua chapter four. Uh, last week we left off. 
uh, we see Joshua, this new leader of the Israelites, who was given the baton of leadership from Moses, standing at the bank of the Jordan River on the east side of the Jordan River with an estimated two million Israelites ready to cross over into the land of Canaan, the promised land that God had for them on the west side of the Jordan River. The problem is this massive river at flood stage, about a mile wide estimated, um, very deep, running quickly, was an impossible barrier. But God sent the Ark of the Covenant, right, this, this physical manifestation of God's, of God's presence, uh, before the people, and the priests carried the Ark into the river. The second their feet touched the water, the Jordan River, God stopped up the Jordan River 20 miles ahead, and the Jordan River bed became dry, and the people walked across the Jordan River. And we were reminded of God's faithfulness, of his power, of his presence, of his holiness. And today we're continuing on in this narrative of what happens with Joshua and the people of Israel. So look at Joshua chapter 4, and uh, let's, let's read a little bit, teach a little bit, see what we can find. Joshua chapter 4, it says this, While all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you will lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan. Take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder. So this is, it's a lot bigger than this, right? Okay. And according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, 12, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you should tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over the Jordan, and the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant has stood, and they are there to this day. Just pause there. This is a very powerful scene. It's a surreal moment in the history of the nation of Israel. And God is having them memorialize or commemorate this moment. You have to think about this. Hundreds of years of slavery in Egypt, decades of wandering in the wilderness, and now the people have just crossed over into a new land, the promised land, a season that will be new. And we see the instructions from the Lord to Joshua to pick a representative out of uh, each tribe, the 12 tribes of Israel, that each would get a large stone, they had to carry it on their shoulder, and we're going to take it with them to where they were going to camp and lodge and moving forward. And then on top of that, Joshua also, you can see here, this was not told uh, to him by the Lord to do this, but he took it upon himself to do it. They grabbed an additional 12 stones and put them in the dry riverbed where the priests were standing so that when the waters came back, there would also be another monument there. 
as well as the one that was going to be with them wherever they went. Now, because you already read chapter 4 before you came in here, or maybe you're going to read it before, let me just summarize uh, this next big section of chapter 4. We basically see that the priest stood firmly planted in the middle of the Jordan until all the people passed over. Then we see the priest, uh, after all the people have uh, crossed over, get up. They then come out of the Jordan River bed. The second their feet touch the other side, the Lord lets loose the Jordan and it flows again freely. The priests go ahead of the people again and they continue moving and they move about eight miles and they're going to be at a place called Gilgal, which we'll talk about here in a minute. They are now officially in Canaan. They are now officially in the promised land, a land that only their ancestors had heard about, dreamed about, and now their feet are on this land. And there's a, there's a group that you're going to read about, um, two and a half tribes of Israel, that in the wilderness journey and before they crossed over, they really fell in love with the land they saw on the east side. And they asked permission to, uh, to live there instead, to have their inheritance there. And the agreement was, yes, you can do that, but come fight with us and conquer the west side first. And when that's done, you can go back. So those people crossed over. They're with them. They're getting ready to fight and help conquer the land. And the outcome of all of what's happening here for the people is that they have a high regard for Joshua because God is endorsing and giving evidence to his leadership because of the miracle that he just did with the Jordan River. So now their eyes are on Joshua to listen to the instructions that he gives because they're coming from the Lord. That's what happens uh, in that section. And then let's read the last part of Joshua chapter 4, verses 19 through 24. And it says, The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea when he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. This is a powerful moment in history. And again, what I want us to see here today is that remembering God's faithfulness benefits us, it benefits the next generation, and it benefits the unbelieving world. And so let's talk about that. First, remembering God's faithfulness benefits us. Look at Joshua 4, 6. It says that this, this the sign, the, the, the stones, right? That this might be a sign among you. When your children ask a time to come, what do these stones mean to you? The stones taken from the Jordan were to be a symbol that would forever remind the people that wandered in the wilderness about God's faithfulness to bring them to the other side. Uh, These people did not have photo albums. They did not have devices with thousands of photos that every now and then would pop up like, hey, your memory from a year ago or five years ago. They didn't have a device. They couldn't take a selfie by the Jordan. You know, click, click, look what happened, right? They needed something to help them remember this moment. 
And God says, I'm giving you these rocks, these stones, so that whenever you see them, you'll remember who I am and what I've done. And when your children ask, you have something to tell them, but we'll get to that in a minute. Notice, they put the stones on the victory side of the Jordan. They didn't put them on the east side. Now, Joshua put some up in the middle, and I think the symbolism there is very significant. Like, look, we're not going back that way. We're not going to go back to where we came from. There's this, there's this milestone now, this marker. But that's what was. But now God has us moving this way. New land, new territory, new season. And we're going to put these 12 stones up on the victory side, the new side of what God has for us. And so uh, they were going to take those stones and put them in this place called Gilgal. Now I want to talk about this for a second. Gilgal is a, is a, is a city you're going to hear about a lot, especially through the book of Joshua and the early history of Israel. Now, where they lodged is going to be somewhere known as Camp Gilgal, if you will. I'm going to show you a map here. So if you look at kind of the, the snapshot of where we're at, there was the crossing of the Jordan River. Then there's this Camp Gilgal about eight miles away. And then they're going to continue on, as we'll see here in the future, to Jericho, the fortified city, which God's going to give them as the first city to fall to the Israelites. Now, up north more later on, there's going to be a more permanent settlement of Gilgal, but for now, it's this camp that they're going to be at. We want to continue to talk about the symbolism we see here as we're looking at this narrative of the gospel. This is where sometimes we miss those little gospel nuances in the scripture, sometimes hundreds or thousands of years before Jesus was even born. And so look again, we've talked about this. We had a people that left slavery, they left lostness, they passed through the waters to a new land, new season. In, the, in Christ, we leave lostness, we leave slavery and bondage to sin. Uh, our baptism is a representation of what happens when we come to faith in Jesus. And so we pass through the waters, leaving the old behind. The Bible says that when you come to Christ, you are a new creation, right? The new has come, the old is gone, it's dead. And just as the, the Egypt and the wilderness were, were going to be dead, it's part of their story, part of their history, part of their narrative, it's not where they live anymore. They're to live in the new place, remembering God's faithfulness of what he did to bring them out. That, that's our story, right? Like, we don't want to go live back where we were before we knew Christ. That's dead. That's gone. We've passed through to a new place. And now we have these reminders of how God's been faithful to bring us through and take us where we are now. Um, and on that note, by the way, that baptism, we talked about this last week, it's almost like there was a, a group baptism through the Jordan River. And if you've never taken that step, by the way, in your faith, like baptism's not a suggestion by Jesus. Jesus never said like, oh, if you, if you feel like getting baptized, you, you, should probably, you should probably do that. He never said like, hey, once you feel ready, he's like, look, <laughs> go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so really baptism is an expression of our faith in Christ. So if you've never done that, we'd, we'd love to uh, take that step with you. August 6th is our next baptism. You can send us an email at baptism at northbible.com. Say, hey, 
I want to know more about the baptism coming up. There's also a sign up in the information center. But we see that here. That's like group baptism, if you will. And then they're eight miles away now in the settlement called Gilgal. Gilgal becomes home base. Not the camp that was temporary, but once it kind of gets settled up into the, the more permanent settlement of Gilgal, it becomes the home base of operations. You're going to see the city show up multiple times in the history of Israel. And um, uh, what Gilgal will be to the Israelites is what Capernaum was to Jesus during his ministry in Galilee. It's just the home base of operations. So it makes sense that they're going to take this 12 stones, and at first in Camp Gilgal, they're going to put them there, which, by the way, we're not told how they did that. Did they make a stack? There's been a couple excavations where they found large stones that were in two rows of six. Sometimes they find them in a circle, like these 12 stones just kind of placed in a circle in the, in the middle of, of the space. And so at Camp Gilgal, they had these 12 stones, but then later, the 12 stones were moved to the permanent settlement of Gilgal. Uh, there's an excavation site at that settlement of Gilgal. Uh, let, let's give you just kind of a glance at this with a couple photos, all right? And so a couple pictures here. There's this, um, uh, if you look carefully, there's a, there's a border on the outside, right, of this, of this area that was excavated. By the way, if you look carefully at it, it looks like a footprint. Kind of looks like a, a, a sandal print, right? We remember something that the Lord told the Israelites in Joshua 1, 3, that the land, that wherever the sole of their feet trod, that would be theirs. And so there's been several of these camps, when they excavate them, guess what it looks like? It kind of looks like the shape of a foot, which is kind of fascinating. And so as they excavate, they see, they see an area where uh, probably where the tabernacle was, but off to the right, they found stones. 12 unique stones. You can zoom in on here. Uh, there was 12 stones that looked different than all the stones that were around it. There was a stone monument in Gilgal. Now, it's old, it's ancient, but we look at that and go, those are probably, and we don't know for sure, but those are probably the stones that came out of the Jordan River that were eventually taken to the settlement of Gilgal. So th this is not myth that we're reading. This is not fiction that we're reading. It's fact. And even the name Gilgal is significant. The name means roll the way, sometimes wheel, or sometimes uh, a circle. And it speaks to how God rolled away the disgrace and shame that the people had carried with them from Egypt. In fact, in Joshua 5, 9, it says, The Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach, that word reproach means disgrace or shame, of Egypt from you so that the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. Which, by the way, is another gospel sighting. Because in this new land, in this new place, God had the people dwell in a place called rolled away because the shame was rolled away from their past. Does that sound a little familiar to us at all? It's a, it's a pointing to the resurrection of Jesus because what happened to the stone that was covering the grave of Christ? It was rolled away. And when we believe in the resurrection of Jesus and that that stone was rolled away and that he rose from the grave, guess what happens to our sin and shame from our past? It's rolled away. So you've got to look at the, the Bible is one story made of all these little books. It's not a bunch of little stories that just make up one book. It's the gospel. All these nuances 
All these little things you can find to point toward Jesus. And so the generation that crossed the Jordan and entered this land needed a memorial because things were going to get hard. They're going to have to fight for this land. That's a whole other conversation. We'll get there. But they're going to be discouraged. They're going to be tempted to fall back into self-reliance and self-sufficiency. They're going to be tempted to adopt the spiritual practices and the beliefs of the culture around them. They needed something physical to trigger a memory of God's faithfulness for them. God brought them out of slavery and brought them to newness, and they needed to remember this. In the same way, God brings us out of slavery to sin, brings us to new life, and we need to remember. We don't live in our old life, but we need to remember what God brought us from. In Psalm 77, 11, it says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. And so because we can see God's incredible track record of bringing people from this to that, from old to new, from death to life, from slavery to freedom, we see all the different ways God showed up. We look at all the different ways God showed up in our life and it gives us optimism and it gives us hope and it gives us joy for what's coming because we too are put in situations where it gets tough and we get discouraged and we drift to self-sufficiency and we're tempted to adopt the beliefs and practices of the culture around us. And so when we remember God's faithfulness, it benefits us. But not just us, it benefits the next generation. Look again at Joshua 4, 6 and 7. It says, talking about these stones, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, what do the stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off so these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. We see it again in verses 21 and 22. It says, to the people of Israel, when children ask, their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. So this memorial was not just set up for the present generation, but for the future generations. When your children ask, when your kids who don't have a memory of crossing the Jordan go, what's with the rocks in the middle of our city? What's with that pile of stones in a circle or in a stack or whatever they have? That's when you tell the story. Son, daughter, that's a reminder of how God had us walk across dry land, across the Jordan River. And so they were to be a visible reminder to tell their children and grandchildren of what God had done, to brag on God's power, to brag on God's faithfulness so they could point their children to the Lord. Oftentimes, the reason that the faith of our children is weak is because they have not been told how great God is. There are times when we as parents and grandparents have to own that we have not consistently and intentionally told our children all about how faithful God has been to us as individuals, us as a family, us as a church, 
us as a people, as followers of Christ. One of the worst spiritual philosophies in raising children sounds something like this. I'm not going to impose my faith on my child. I'm just going to let them figure it out. How many of you have heard that? I've heard that a lot. I'm not going to, I'm going to tell my kids what to believe. I'm just going to let them figure it out. That is terrible advice. And it's not biblical. Because over and over and over again in the Bible, you see that the parents should tell their children about the Lord, to disciple their children. Spiritual formation is home-centered, church-supported. Not church-centered, home-supported. But we get distracted. We lose sight. And we forget what God has given us as a commandment to raise our children in the ways of the Lord. And so the Lord wanted to make sure Israel was going to leverage the miraculous crossing of the Jordan to shape the faith of the next generation. It only takes one generation to take one step away from the Lord for faith to erode. You guys have seen that uh, analogy, right, of the, of, the, of the compass, that all it takes is if a, if a ship were to start at one port and only be off course by one degree, fast forward, how far off course is that ship going to be? Significantly. All it takes is one generation to go click or click, 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 and all of a sudden, where's faith? Where's Christ? Where's the gospel? Where's biblical truth? And so what is amazing is you had this people group show up in the land of milk and honey, and within a generation, we're going to see that they basically forgot who God was. And we don't know if the parents dropped the ball or the kids didn't want to hold it, or probably a little bit of both. But if you go to Judges chapter 2, I'm just going to put it up on the screen, but you can write it down. Judges 2, verses 6 through 12, it says, When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his own inheritance to take possession of the land, to the land that was allotted to them, right? And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who'd seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years old, and they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Tanaharis, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. Verse 10. And all the generation also were gathered to their fathers. A whole generation gone. And it says, There arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Why didn't they know? What happened there? Verse 11, and the people of Israel did what was evil on the side of the Lord, served the Baals, right, the false gods of the culture, and they abandoned the Lord, the God of the fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. Do you sense the tragic nature of what we just read? The generation gone and the next generation going, we don't believe what you believe. We didn't see what you saw. Kind of heard some stories, but we don't really know it like you know it. What will our children remember from us about the Lord? Look, I want you just to think about all that we do 
all the hours that our kids spend with us. And if our kids were interviewed by someone and to say, hey, I'll ask questions about your family, your life, your parents. Like, tell me what your parents believe. Do you believe the same thing? When did your parents come to the Lord? When did your parents get baptized? Hey, can you share a story um, of how God transformed your mom or dad? Like, what's one of the greatest transformations that Jesus did in the life of your mom and dad? And, and then just to start to say, like, like, when you look at your house, what do you think your parents were about? Based on what you saw, based on what you heard, based on what you experienced, like, what was your mom and dad about? How would they, how would they answer those questions? Man, they love sports. We spent thousands and thousands and thousands on sports. We drove everywhere as far as we could. Parents really like the sports thing. There's nothing wrong with sports. But do you serve it? Man, stuff. We had so much stuff. Man, I loved our house. I loved our TVs. I loved our games. I loved our trinkets. I loved our things. There's nothing wrong with having that stuff. But would your kids say that's what you were about? All the hours that we spend taking care of the stuff? Like, when we back it up, like, what were our children say about what was most important to us. And if pressed about what we believe and pressed about how faith worked in our life and transformed our lives, what were our children say? Let me ask it a different way. What words do you think your kids would use if someone said, give us the words that you think best fit to describe your parents' faith in the Lord? What words do you think they would use? Or what words would you want them to use? And will they use those words? And if not, how are you going to help them to use those words? And they love Jesus. They're passionate about their faith. They were committed to the Lord. And they served. And they were generous. They were gracious. They were merciful. They were humble. What words will our kids use about us? Hey, all you kids today, when I say kids, it could be an adult son. If you really want to bless your father today on Father's Day, tell them how God has used him to encourage you in your faith. Tell them how God has used him to teach you about Jesus. Tell them the words that you would use about his faith. That would be a true gift. See, the most important relationship for our children to ever have is the relationship with the Lord. And it's our job to do our best to connect them. We can't determine what our kids are going to believe. We can't manage their faith. We can't make them believe. Our responsibility is just to love them well, point them to Jesus, and do the best we can to have a Christ-centered life and home. But are we doing that? Psalm 71, 18 says this, So even to old age and gray hairs... O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who come. Are you living a life that's proclaiming the Lord to the next generation? Uh, If you're sitting there going, I don't have an idea of what that looks like, here's some ideas for you. You can have scripture in the home, right? On your walls and different things, different scripture in the home. Celebrate spiritual milestones and anniversaries when people came to the Lord and baptisms and special moments. Um, Pray together thanking God for what he's done. Pray together asking direction from God. Tell stories of how God has shown up and come through for your family. You can serve 
together in community and on mission trips. You can share your journal entries. Probably not all of them, because some of them might have their names in it. But you can share some of your journal entries with them. You, you can go on spiritual retreats. Like there's, there's no shortage of ideas. We're limited by our creativity and how we can spur greater faith in our kids. And so what intentional efforts are we making to prevent spiritual amnesia from invading our homes? It only took one generation to erode the faith of Israelites, and we see the same thing going on today as we look around the world. But it's important to remember God's faithfulness and to share it for us, for the next generation, and also, lastly, with the unbelieving world. There's a world that doesn't know God, that doesn't believe in God, and they're watching. Look what we see in Joshua 4.24. It says, So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Why did God have those stones set up? What was the end game? So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear God and know him forever. That's the end game. And so God wanted that pile of rocks not just to be a testimony to the Israelites that remembered the crossing, to the next generation that didn't remember the crossing, but to the world that maybe had heard about it or not heard about it. To give evidence, to give testimony of God's faithfulness to his people. That this people has a real God, the one true God, who does miracles. It was a testimony to the unbelieving people that were listening and hearing about them. Think about what we saw a couple weeks ago with a woman named Rahab in Jericho. She had heard about what God was doing, and it turned her heart to faith. And so in the same way, what God was doing amongst Israel was to turn those who did not know the Lord toward wanting to know about the Lord, seek the Lord, find the Lord, hopefully follow the Lord. And so the people of the earth at the time needed a memorial, a testimonial, an existence to give them the reality of the one true God. And that pile of stones in Gilgal was one of the ways God was sending that message. It's not the only time God uses stones to send messages to the unbelieving world. For example, consider 1 Peter 2.5. You yourselves, speaking about the church, you yourselves are living what? Stones. You are living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The church is another way that God has taken stones, if you will, we're called living stones, and put us together to declare the Lord, to give evidence to the unbelieving world about a faithful God who loves his people. In 1 Peter 2.9 it says, We're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. One of the ways we are living stones is by proclaiming God's faithfulness and goodness to others who don't know him. That's part of our stone-esque, if you will. Also, Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Who sees your good works? The unbelieving world. What's the hopeful outcome? That they'll see you and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. The church is a pile of living stones, a home that's being built by God to be a testimony to the unbelieving world. If you want to pick one specific stone, that God used as a 
testimony to the unbelieving world. It's a stone known, a big giant rock, also called a hill called Golgotha, which means the skull. And we know what happened on Golgotha. Another name for it is Calvary. is where the cross of Christ was put on that rock. And that cross on that rock of Golgotha is a testimony, is a message to the unbelieving world. That there's a holy God who's gracious and merciful and just and compassionate. And the cross of our Savior was put on that hill. And the Savior of the world was nailed to that cross and his blood flowed and his death was a sacrifice for all those who needed rescue, which is every person in humanity. And so God is in the habit of using something significant to demonstrate his love, his message to the world. We're part of that. So it's not just for us, it's not just for our children, it's for the whole world. And if you're not a believer in Christ today, whether you're watching online or whether you're in this room, you're like, I've been coming to church, I'm spiritually exploring, you're going, I'm hearing about Jesus, like what would be, like how do I come to Christ? This is gonna, let me give you a simplified version. It's the ABCs of faith. A, you admit that you're a sinner, <laughs> that you run from God, that you're a rebel, that you need God. And you admit that you're a sinner that needs the Lord. B, you believe in Jesus Christ. You believe that he's God in the flesh. You believe that he died on the cross for our sins. You believe that God raised him from the grave on the third day. And you put your trust and hope and belief in Jesus. And then C, you commit your life to following him. Like coming to Christ is not a decision you make and you just go on with your life. You become a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And so if, if you've never come to Christ and you're ready to take that step, it's ABC. You, you can take that and pray that to God. God, I admit I'm a sinner and I need you. I believe in Jesus Christ that he died on the cross and rose from the grave for my sin to forgive me. And I commit my life to following you today. Simple as that. And if you do that today, our, our desire, our hope, our joy would be to come uh, alongside you and walk with you to grow in your new relationship with Jesus. But let us know that you've taken that step of faith. Talk to myself after the service. We're going to have prayer partners over here. Come find us and we'll say, uh, I, I want to put my faith in Christ or I'm putting my faith in Christ. And we'll celebrate that with you and help you take your next steps. The Joshua 4. Remembering God's faithfulness benefits us, the next generation, and the watching, unbelieving world. Therefore, every believer should find ways to commemorate God's faithfulness because it's good for us, it's good for our children, it's good for those who do not know the Lord. Question for you. What did you need to hear today? That God has you here, God has you logged on. What did you need to hear today? And secondly, what are you going to do about it? So God brought a message, brought conviction, brought direction. What are you going to do today because of what you heard? I'm going to give you one opportunity. This has been a very good reminder. Every now and then when I glance over on my shelf, I'm just remembering God's faithfulness. He's the rock <laughs> and all that he's done in my life. And maybe you have one of these, maybe you don't, but around this room we have several tables with some rocks. And so here in a second, I'm just going to give you guys a moment to think about how God has shown up for you. 
How has God come through for you? And as we're worshiping, we're going to be standing. Just go, go to one of these tables and grab a rock, grab a Sharpie, and you can write down a word or a phrase that commemorates that moment and put it somewhere visible. If it's small enough, you can put it in your pocket every day, right? In your car, your house, somewhere visible, in your office. Just as one more reminder of God's faithfulness to you. And so I invite you to stand right now. We're going to enter into worship during this time. Feel free to grab a rock. We're going to sing. We're going to worship. You can write. And uh, in a minute, I'll come back up and close this out. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. So what's with the rocks? That's what the Israelites were asked. They told their children about what happened to Jericho. May you hear the same thing. What's with the rocks? Oh, this is times God was faithful in my life. Things he got me through. So whether you have one rock or multiple rocks, grab one, write on it. If, if you have one of these already somewhere in your home from years ago, when's the last time you wrote something new on it? I'm assuming he's done more since the last time you wrote on that rock. And so it's our chance just to brag on God and his faithfulness. We have a faithful God. Amen? He's present. He's real. He's there for us. So, so glad that we were here together today. Before you leave, again, Father's, happy Father's Day. Hope you enjoy the rest of your day. If you need prayer today, we're going to have some prayer partners over here just available to pray with you if there's something going on in your life or if you're ready to take that next step to know Christ, uh, you can pray with them as well. God bless you guys. Thanks for being here. Go and have an amazing day. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.